Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Getting to Know You. As always, I'm your host, Jen Dawson, Pedra's Associate Director of Educational Programs. And joining me today is the fabulous Dr. Christy Garza-Mayers. Dr. Garza-Mayers is an instructor of dermatology at Harvard Medical School and a pediatric dermatologist. She's an active member of Pedra, serving as a Pedra mentor, and she's also received Pedra research funding, and she serves on Pedra's early investigator committee. Thank you so much for being my guest on getting to know you today, Dr. Garza-Mayers. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. So um, like I do with everybody, let's start at the very beginning. Why, what was it about pediatric dermatology that interested you? Why was this your career path? I was actually interested in pediatrics first. So I went to medical school thinking that I was interested and knowing I wanted to work with children um, and with pediatric populations. And um, I think I tried other things. I think at one point I thought I was interested in gastroenterology and I uh, honestly, I remember I, I saw my first colonoscopy and I called my husband, I left the room. I called my husband after, and I said, I can't do this. And I said, this is, this is not for me. Um, and, uh, it's an interesting combination of sort of finding the, the things, um, that you're doing that you like and finding your people, you know, kind of finding the people that you are working with your colleagues and then also your, your patients. And I think that the problems, uh, in dermatology were, were interesting. It was all kind of, it just kind of clicked together. So after deciding that GI was not for you, what, like, how did you get that exposure to dermatology? How did that come about? I, so initially it was as a medical student, I did a rotation and had, um, exposure in dermatology clinics. And it was actually, of course, first in adult dermatology clinics. And um, again, it was sort of these these moments that you remember where I was working with someone who I just thought it was so, it was so interesting that there was one visit that was, you know, skin exam, it was kind of really routine. And then the next visit was this really bizarre rash and we left the room. And I remember he said, that person has CTCL. And I was just sort of like, what are we, what are we, you know, how, how did you know what, and it's such a big diagnosis to give someone and to just, for someone who had seen so many different providers and didn't have an answer for what was happening. And I thought that that was great. You know, you just kind of go from, from one room to the next and have just a mix of, of things to see. And, and in dermatology, it's great the way that we get to feel like we're helping people, you know, big or small problems. Um, and I'm sure and in other facets of medicine, they, they feel the same, but um, it definitely clicked for me. And then I was able to um, have more experiences. I um, took an additional year um, to do some research um, and to gain some clinical experience and um, just kind of went from there. So you also received your PhD in uh, microbiology and immunobiology. So how did that come about and where did that fit in with your desire to be a pediatric dermatologist? Yes. So that actually was before. So I uh, was an MD PhD student. I went into medical school in a combined program, um, did sort of the first bit of medical school, did my graduate um, studies. So I worked on Shigella, which causes diarrheal disease, which is part of the reason I was considering um, GI. Um, and props to, to GI doctors. I, I, I do still think that it's it's a great field. They do great work. Um, 
And so, and then I came back into medical school and had the experience, as I mentioned, in terms of uh, rotations. And so I think things have changed a little bit in medical school in terms of getting early exposure. And I think that it's part of the reason it's so great to see medical students on the early side or when people reach out and they're, they're interested on the early side, um, just in terms of making sure that you are able, you're seeing everything that you, that you can see before you make a decision in terms of what you want to do. Um, and so that all kind of came before. And then um, I was still able to get sort of dermatology exposure and research exposure in dermatology as well. Okay. So that leads me beautifully into this next section I want to talk about. So you talk about getting medical students um, exposure to a variety of things so they can have more information as they move through their uh, education and decide on a specialty. So you, I know, are heavily involved in PEDRA's Early Investigator Committee, and you have been serving as a PEDRA mentor for a while now. Thank you. We appreciate that. And you uh, recently were a mentor on an Emerging Investigator Research Grant. Uh, So talk about mentorship. Why is it important? Um, I think mentorship is so important at, at every stage. I think sort of starting at the beginning, thinking a little bit practically, mentorship is key when people ask me in terms of applying to residency, uh, which is such a feat. I think, you know, as, as the years go on, I'm, I'm so impressed. Um, I think that having someone who um, has your back, it also kind of helps you um, to navigate um, is, is so important. And then I think, you know, even at my stage now where it's, it's, it feels a little bit as a new attending, you know, the kind of, uh, the fake it till you make it. Uh, it's, you know, kind of having someone to bounce ideas off of to kind of feel like you're not you know, sort of recreating the wheel that, that you have someone to, to talk about with, from, with everything from, you know, patients. It's, it's an interesting experience to see patients on your own for the first time um, to, you know, research projects to, and then again, sort of mentoring people knowing how to do that step as well. Um, and so I think that uh, having someone to connect with is so important. So how did it work being a mentor on a funded project for Pedro? Um, that was great, actually. I, I again, um, I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed with with everyone that I've come across uh, who is having to go through this process again. And that was actually it was it was you were actually involved in it. It was a little bit organic where we had this uh, mentoring group that was established um, that was really kind of to talk through things. And then someone had an idea. And they reached out to me and I said, that's a great idea. Maybe we can get you some money for it. You, you know, you, you have this thing that you want to do and, and you, it's great and you're great and we should get you recognized for it. And I honestly feel just like honored to have been a part of it uh, because I felt like it was an idea that kind of came from, you know, not necessarily from me. And I was able to kind of help someone else achieve something. Uh, And, and um, we're still, we're still working on it. Um, but um, it was it was nice to have the, uh, every step of that was really facilitated by by Pedra, even, you know, in terms of us meeting. It's really fun to watch something like an organic idea that's come out of this, you know, group of of creative discussions turn into something and then be a finished product at the end. You know, you get funding for it. You are working with the mentor mentees. And so it's been it's been fun to watch that project come to fruition. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about your research interests and then we can talk about some of the projects that you've worked on. Yes. So I, as I mentioned, I have a PhD that is uh, more remote 
uh, in terms of my interests. Um, but it's interesting to think about how interests evolve over time. Um, and so even within dermatology for me as a medical student, I was more involved in sort of more adult um, dermatology research, um, looking at uh, cellulitis, um, and then um, have sort of had different experiences over time as a clinical fellow at UMass. I was able to work with John Harris, who works on vitiligo, of course. Um, and that was a wonderful experience. It was um, a combination of my my clinical um, fellowship director was Dr. Karen Wiss, um, who is wonderful too, of course. Um, and so it was great to have the benefit of the clinical exposure to everything. And then um, just he, uh, Dr. Harris's group is doing really uh, amazing things in vitiligo. And it was a great experience to kind of get involved and to kind of think about uh, vitiligo as uh, it, as an entity by itself, as sort of mm -hmm. something that patients are dealing with, and then sort of get exposure to the whole, um, the kinds of research that he does. He really does. He has a lab. He does clinical research. It was um, a great sort of entry point in that way. Um, I've been thinking more about vitiligo as it represents treatment equity. Um, so, mm -hmm. so thinking about patients and their access to treatment and vitiligo is, you know, really just a window into how that affects, you know, everything that we see in dermatology, um, so, so it's been an evolution for me and I think continues to evolve. That's really interesting. I'm hopeful that you can get a project or two off the ground in that space. That would be really cool. Yeah. So let's talk about your projects. Like what are some of the research projects you've worked on that really stick in your mind? So a project that I was um, really excited about as a fellow uh, and was able to kind of work on and then complete was again with Dr. Harris looking at narrow band UVB phototherapy in pediatric patients with vitiligo and looking to see. So we know in vitiligo that phototherapy works. We know that it, it works pretty well, actually, um, but it's uh, sort of anecdotally or sort of the experience that I was having as a provider was that we didn't really seem to use it a lot in pediatrics. And I was kind of talking to people asking them, you know, do you prescribe this? Do your patients use it? And I think that there's a number of reasons why it's perhaps not as common. And, you know, I think it's not going to be the thing that gets you, people often say, you know, is it going to give you 100%? Um, and it might not necessarily, but it, it works really well. And I felt like the, you know, it was nice to do a project to then have some data behind it to show that in fact, it's, it is, um, you could say potentially underutilized in pediatric patients. And again, not looking at the reasons that's a little bit more speculative speculative in terms of, um, you know, when you are doing phototherapy, you're coming into the office three times a week. Often you're paying a copay uh, for every one of those visits. Um, you're coming out of school, you're as a parent, you're coming out of work. Um, so there's sort of other different reasons um, behind it, but it was uh, an opportunity for me to start to look at uh, how this data looks in terms of looking at vitiligo, looking at children, how it's documented, and ideas, again, sort of moving forward to think about how can we make this better. And I think that, again, phototherapy has been around for a really long time. It might not necessarily be the thing that sort of gets you 100% clear, uh, but it is is indicative of how I think things will move forward um, for patients in terms of, you know, sort of the new kid on the block, of course, is um, topical jack inhibitors for vitiligo. And, um, you know, are people going to be able to access that? So what, what can you tell me about your Weston CDA grant? 
Um, sure. So I was very fortunate as a fellow, again, um, with Dr. Wiss and Dr. Harris, I had another grant, actually, um, a smaller grant from PIDRA, where we started a small pilot study that's still ongoing, and then was able to, as things have progressed, and I've progressed, was was able to, um, I'm honored to have been awarded the Weston. So in the smaller grant, we had a pilot study that is looking at, there is data that shows that there is sensory neural hearing loss and vision I'm sorry, vision loss in patients with vitiligo. And most of it is um, sort of meta-analysis done in adults. And I thought that that was really interesting because one thing in, in all of the diseases that we see in pediatric dermatology, um, but in vitiligo um, also is you have someone who comes in, they have skin disease, and then it becomes a question of what else should we be uh, worried about your know, parents always want to make sure that there's nothing that's being missed. And so of course with vitiligo, we always check thyroid function. Um, but it was interesting to me to think if if we have children who are being affected with hearing and vision loss that we should be we don't routinely screen these these kids um, but should we is sort of the question um, in terms of you have kids who are at a critical um, stage in terms of learning and and um, speaking and and everything developmentally and so um, there is a pilot study that is ongoing um, where patients who come in then are routed to have a um, screening that they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. Um, and so along with that, then within my Weston, um, hoping to expand that to look um, retrospectively to see um, if they're, uh, you know, in terms of children who have been seen in the past with vitiligo and whether um, they've had testing that indicates that that is more prevalent in that population. Um, and then, as I mentioned, um, also, the past work that I had done looking at phototherapy, uh, looking more um, now that I am at a different institution, sort of hopefully harnessing the strength of uh, many institutions and many electronic medical records um, to look at um, charts to see, again, in terms of phototherapy utilization in um, pediatrics and um, to have a little bit more data in terms of comparing that to adults to be able to say definitively if there is a difference between the two. And then again, as I mentioned, looking ahead to JAK inhibitors. So as these come onto the market and are available for children and then sort of younger, um, looking to see if, if patients are actually having access to that. And part of that in terms of both phototherapy and JAK inhibitors is um, doing some survey studies. So just kind of asking patients what their experiences are. Cause I, I am curious to see, you know, I, I know my own practice, um, but everyone of course is different. And, and oftentimes when people have seen me or, you know, when I saw patients with Dr. Harris, they often will have seen other providers and just kind of ask to say, what, what has your experience been? Has anybody ever mentioned phototherapy to you? Have you ever tried it? Did you, you know, and, and to kind of to say, you know, oh yeah, I, it was 30 miles away. Like we couldn't, we couldn't go, you know, just to kind of hear the yeah. reasons of if it was never offered or if they didn't do it for other reasons. That sounds super interesting. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to what comes out of this project. So as we wind down our interview, I want to introduce a new segment to getting to know you called rapid fire questions. So instead of sharing something explicitly personal or funny about yourself, we're going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a series of questions that you can answer as quickly as you'd like. Okay. You ready? Okay. Okay. So let's start with what's your favorite book. It's hard for me to pick a favorite. I can tell you maybe what I read last. Yeah. Tell um, me so what I read a last. Series yeah, there's, I'm reading this book called Majesty. Uh, it's probably for young adults, um, but it's about uh, an alternate universe in which 
um, if the United States was ruled by royalty. So it's about the the like royal family. Um, if they were, so it's kind of like a rom com fiction. It's very light. It's the summer. That's what I. That's what I'm telling myself. Uh, what show have you recently binged? I so I we were recently traveling and we were we went to South Korea as a family and so I started watching this South Korean um, TV show. Um, and I don't know that it's very big or very popular. It's called Soundtrack. It was on Disney. So I was watching just all of them on the plane because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, let's see. What is a favorite memory you have from your training? Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. I think it's it's so funny because it's all the things that you, and when you were doing them, you probably didn't like them but you know the things that you remember where you, you show up for the VA on a Friday afternoon and there's dozens of patients to be seen and you know it's like the senior resident brought a bunch of snacks and it's like let's do it you know like you just kind of and in it's the moment it was it, did, it was not, yeah exactly it didn't seem like fun but then looking back you know it's sort of just like being there with people mm -hmm. um you know just kind of learning and all in it together it yeah, yeah totally yeah What's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, I work with a lot of people who have believed in me. Um, and, you know, just to kind of have someone who tells you, you know, you don't know until you try, um, which I guess sort of my husband's like a big sports guy. So, you know, it's like you miss all the shots you don't take. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of uh, advice is, has probably been the, the best for me in terms of really feeling like other people, because, you know, I'll always do something if someone else asks me to. Um, yeah. but then, you know, so to have that has been very helpful. That's great. Okay. Last question. And then we'll be done. Promise. Uh, you mentioned that you were on a family vacation in South Korea. What was the highlight of the trip? I think one thing just being all together was great. Um, cause we had all of our kids there and my mom was there. And, um, so that was, it was a lot of fun. Um, there was one thing, so we were we were in South Korea, we were on Jeju Island, and there was this particular art exhibit that we went to, and you kind of, it was this one where you kind of walked through, and it was this multimedia experience, and that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, it was really beautiful, um, and it was really hot there, and it was air-conditioned inside, so that was great, too, <laughs> um, but no, no, that was probably one of the coolest things that we did. Those are amazing. When we were in Japan in May, we we went through one of those like experiential art exhibits. Yeah, too. I didn't realize it was a thing. It was so yeah. beautiful. It was so amazing and so beautiful and tranquil. And everyone enjoyed it, which was great. You know, that's everyone like the, the yeah. trick on a family vacation where everyone seemed to get something from it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you all got to do that and glad you got to travel as a family. That's so wonderful. It means so much. Those memories last forever. Thank you so much for joining me on getting to know you, Dr. Garza Mayers. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Dr. Garza Mayers for joining us on Getting to Know You. I hope you enjoyed learning about her research interests and her uh, various grant projects. For other Getting to Know You episodes, make sure that you have liked and subscribed to our Pedro Pearls podcast channel on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. Or you can head on over to our YouTube channel at Pedro Research to check out videos there. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Pedro Research. 
For information about the upcoming PEDRA Annual Conference, please visit our website at www.pedraresearch.org or email us at info at pedraresearch.org. The conference will be held in Atlanta, Georgia, November 9th through the 11th, and we hope that you can join us. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.